Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Nick Stumbo. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> oh, man. I, I could hold it out a lot longer, but you... that seems like it could be annoying. <laughs> That's I think it was good. annoying short. That's good. So let's talk about this. A couple episodes ago, you asked some listeners to send a list of all of your intros, and we got a couple. We did, Yeah, it was just kind of on a whim, because there's been 65, and we thought, well, who's going to go through 65 episodes and write down an intro? But we actually had two people that within 24 hours, yes. within that first day of it being yep. out, had already sent them in. So um, we may, by the time this episode airs, we may have had other submissions that we'll have to you know, regrettably say, sorry, you're too late. Sure, but, sure. Yeah, for those two, we'll send them a little gift. And um, now hopefully I won't repeat or duplicate myself because I've got the list right <laughs> in front of running me. running list. So I'm concerned a little bit for those listeners. Like maybe you spend too much time listening to our podcast, but we appreciate yeah. we do. the love and support. We totally yeah. do. Uh, but you guys will uh, both get a free copy of Nick's book. Is it safe? Is that what we're going to be sending him? I can't even recall. I, I think they actually requested one of them. So ah, I think okay. to the first person, we're going to go ahead and send both of them. All right. Well, we will contact you via email and you will get a free book. So let's move on. Uh, today's episode is going to be focused on the father wound. And here to talk about it is Dr. Ted. Welcome back, Dr. Ted. Hey, great to be back. So if you don't know, Dr. Ted is our founder. He's a clinician. He's written a bunch of books and resources for us. Uh, and so we're glad to have him, him here today to help us talk through what a father wound is, how to find it if it's there, and how to address it in our lives. We're also going to talk about the idea of passing on a father wound and really what it might look like to leave a healthy legacy to our kids. So uh, Dr. T, you ready to go? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Let's rock and roll. 
Well, Ted, I'm excited for us to be covering this topic because I know it's something that, like in my own story, when we come to this recovery process, it's not necessarily what we expect to lean into to, to really work on healing and recovery. We we tend to enter into it to be more behavior focused and how do I stop these unwanted behaviors? But the father wound really is um, one of those crucial elements where we're going below the surface um, into someone's life to see what's really driving their behavior. At Pure Desire, it's a, a theme and a uh, topic we discuss quite a bit, but for anyone that's maybe heard the phrase and has just never really thought about what it means, or maybe someone's listening to this podcast that's new to us and new to Pure Desire, and, and they're hearing this idea of a father wound for the first time, would you just give us kind of an overview of what is a father wound? How would you explain it to someone that's trying to understand this concept? That's a great question because a lot of guys come into my office and they say, I don't have any father wounds. And I'll say, well, then why are you here seeing me? And uh, go, I got a problem. I got, I got a, a problem. behavior yeah. I can't I stop. Yeah. But all behavior is driven by beliefs that lie deep within. And, and the deepest beliefs that a father can communicate to you is who you really are. Uh, you got a father when you end up missing something in your lives that a father can uniquely give us. Now, moms and dads, their, their ministry overlap raising the kids. There's something a dad uniquely gives us, and that's in his love and mentoring and discipline. He gives us an understanding of our divine calling and our destiny. Hmm. Um, Dad's tendency is to challenge us to risk. Mom's tendency is to protect and care for us. And as in the risking, the dad calls forth our sense of identity and mentors us in the development of our giftedness. Uh, I believe the role of a dad in our culture is particularly important because there's no recognized rite of passage as a young man. You look at ancient cultures, uh, they always have a rite of passage. The elders will have a rite of passage they take a young man through. Mm -hmm. Once he gets on the other side, then he's recognized as a man and a warrior. Some of the crazy uh, contemporary and some cultures around the world are really nuts, a rite of passage. One I would call it, uh, you know, bungee jumping is for wussies because this in the island in the South Pacific of Vanuatu, what they do is land diving. They make a 100-foot high uh, tower and the young men dive off head first with a vine tied to their leg. And what they want to do is just barely touch the ground with their shoulders. And obviously, if you get it set wrong, it can kill you. So that's one of the rites of passage. Uh, I'm glad we don't do that I'm one. I'm glad we don't do that, but there's some other ones. That's a most... real pass-fail experience. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, there's Not a, a lot of gray area in there. No, no, no it's, you got to get it just right. Uh, Maasai tribes in Africa, um, most of the rites of passage are connected with uh, circumcision. Hmm. So they invite the entire family to come. And when the boy's being circumcised, the family challenges says, if you show any weakness, we'll disown you. Uh, because the Messiah value courage and ability to withstand pain in their culture. Hmm. So a young man has the opportunity to display publicly if he can withstand pain. But that's really not the crazy one. There's, there's a tribe in Brazil, Moe, which they standard a right of passage here reaches the absolute insane level because what they do is they ask the young man to stick their fist in or their hand into a, uh, 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 a nest of bullet ants, which are the most painful uh, type of ant uh, sting you can have. And what'll happen, the kid will start shaking mm -hmm. and the venom lasts for 24 hours. If he shows any sign of weakness, they haven't put it back in there and that's pass or fail big time. Wow. Well, in our culture, when do you know you're a man? I put it this way, when your father says you're a man, hmm. then you're a man. And father's approval is so important in our life because you don't know who you are to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out who you are and it drives you crazy. It really hmm. sets you up for addictions. I'll never forget when the Lord challenged me to leave the flying game and enter into ministry. I went back in the squadron for the last time. And I talked to uh, 
the Marines that were there. I was a Navy squadron or a Marine detachment I was part of. And Major Curtis was there, and I walked in the door, and he was mentoring me. And he turns back to me, and we didn't even recognize my existence. Uh, something in me died that day. I realized how much I had been so affected by my seven abusive fathers, how much I wanted to have someone approve me. Um, it's really a huge issue in our culture today. Hmm. Without, with a father uh, not affirming you, you leave you with a sense of anger, rage, and just isolation hmm. take over. So I think it is really easy, especially in the culture where we talk about, you know, uh, especially today with women, it's like, do you have like a daddy issue? Uh, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. So I think that culturally it's not unheard of the whole idea of a father wound, but I, we get this question a lot and I've asked this question at times too. What about the mother? Is there such a thing as a mother wound or things that our mothers leave um, that impact us negatively? Yeah, there's no question there's a mother wound. The problem is that the mother wound, mother, the way I like to put it this way, a mom will give you trauma bonds, a father will give you trauma wounds. Mm. And a mom will drive you crazy. Um, my good friend Ken Adams wrote two good books. One is When He Marries Mom, and the other one is Silent Seduction, uh, Core of, of Sexual Abuse. What will happen is a mom, she'll drive you crazy because when um, my mom, she, she was an alcoholic, so I had to take care of her most of the time. And then this cleanliness, she just kind of surround me, and I react to her. And the, de the devastating part of a mother wound is you get mad at mom, and then you're caught in this guilt cycle, hmm. and she drives you crazy. You get mad at her, so you're just cycling on this insanity. Hmm. So there's there's mothers wounds just as much, but they're tougher to recognize because of the guilt that you have when you get mad at her. Yeah. Okay. I like what you were saying earlier, Ted, about the rite of passage or an initiation rite into manhood in particular, and. Uh, I think we see in so many cultures, even if they're doing it in kind of some crazy ways, yeah. they at least have a way that they bestow on a young person that you've you have stepped out of childhood into adulthood. And it seems like in our society, um, the delayed onset of adulthood, if you could put it that yeah. way, the perpetual desire to be in youth and to be young is really something plaguing us, especially in our sexual behaviors, because we see people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that are still trying to act like they're teenagers and yeah. have just never matured in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but wonder if part of that is simply we we never have helped a young man um, understand what it is to move into manhood right. or to womanhood, to really be an adult. And if, if we could recapture some of that, because I think sexually what people are doing is they're defining adulthood by what they do sexually. That For a man, if, if he's able to have a partner or to have sex, that that's that's as closest thing we have in our culture to a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately it creates a very twisted view of what it means to be a man. And so just the role that a father plays, I love what you're saying that they play in ascribing to um, a man or a woman, their sense of identity and belonging and purpose. I think to any father out there who's listening to this, it's really something for them to grab hold of, to recognize we really play a huge role in that. Very much we so. play a significant role in communicating that rite of passage to our children. And whether we do some official thing, like mm -hmm. you know, I hear stories of friends that will take their kids on camping trips at an age appropriate time and kind of, in a sense, pass on maybe a token to them or a family yes. heirloom, a gift to say this, you know, you're becoming a man, you're becoming a woman. I want you to know the value I see in you. Whether you do something like that or not, I think just to see as parents, man, we have a, a real role to play here Very much so. in helping our kids see themselves now as adults. 
Well, I think another thing too that we do as a Christian culture, and I think we do it inadvertently, is we teach that the rite of passage for both men and women is when you get married. Mm -hmm. So then you become an adult, or then you now are this another tier, another level of of a believer that you're experiencing God's blessing more or something like that. And I don't think that that's the intent of churches or of culture, but I think that we tend to do that. uh, And I mean, I'm talking from experience growing up in the church, going to a Christian university, like it's ring by spring, make sure you get married. Like that's why you, you know, that's why you're a Christian is to find a wife. Yeah. What does that say about singles? Right. It says that you're not enough or you somehow there's something wrong with you. And it's just, it breeds shame. It really does. And Jesus was single all his life. <laughs> That's right. And he's the one we're following. It's kind of crazy what we do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, Ted, how did you discover or come across this idea of the father wound? I'm guessing you didn't just step into ministry as a young man and uh, carry the torch of helping people see their father wound. What did you see happening around you or what were some experiences that really made you realize what a big issue this is in people's lives? Well, I think it really came to a focus once I became a certified sexual addiction therapist. I'm trying to help all these guys, and they're violently angry. I can't help them. And I finally realized I was not going to be able to help them unless I addressed their father wound. I've had so many guys walk in my office, and I don't have no stinking father wound. I said, why are you so angry? Uh, I don't know. I'm just angry. He has this deep sense of anger and rage because he's never been affirmed as a human being. He's never his dad look at him. And not just say good ball game. We look at him and say, son, I see who you are and I love it and I just want to approve you. And so there's a sense of quiet. Sexual addiction is, of course, eroticized rage. And you'll see that really tight to the father wound big time. Big mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So once I started addressing the father wound, I could really see a lot of healing take place in men's lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I know for several of those years, at least, you were not only a certified sex addiction therapist, but also still a pastor. So did you bring up the father wound only in the counseling office, or how did you bring that into the church and into your ministry? Well, it's, um, by the nature of East Hill Church, we were primarily reaching unchurched people. And uh, I talked a lot about my past with seven abusive fathers, an alcoholic mom. And I used a lot of illustrations from my life, so it naturally came out. It became a subject we talked about a lot automatically mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of my past. So your willingness as a leader to be mm-hmm. vulnerable and process your own father wounds and yeah. be open about them, mm-hmm. I would guess invited others to do the same. Exactly. Really look at, well, what have I experienced? And whether they had seven abusive stepfathers mm-hmm. or one quote-unquote great father, right. to look at the impact um, was being modeled by just what you were doing in your life. Exactly. And guys will say, I, you know, I didn't have an abusive father like you did, but what will happen is father's always there. Standard model is the father's present, but he's never affirming. He never steps in the son's life and says, son, here's what I see prophetically in your life. I see this giftedness in you, and I want to affirm it and bring it forth. Just don't say that. And there's this sense of emptiness they carry in their soul. Yeah, right. Yeah, what I hear you saying there, or my, the encouragement I take out of it is just being intentional, mm-hmm. you know, to to when we see it, identify it and say it and not just assume, oh, my my kids know, or no. or that, that gentleman, that guy I'm working with, he, he knows how I feel about him. No, right. it's taking that time to say, here's what I see in you. And I want to just call it out because I think God put it there and it's who you are. And uh, don't miss those opportunities. Well, we talk a lot about uh, prophetic words, prophetic promises. I think it's so crucial as a dad to take some time and really meditate on the fact that God gave you these kids and he gave you unique insight to them. Hmm. What would be the prophetic word that you'd have for each of your kids as they approach the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 Mm -hmm. and speak in their life, not to control them, but you're honestly seeing who they are in God. Hmm. My daughter was ordained this last weekend, hmm. and God gave me a word. I said, honey, I think you're a female Daniel. 
and uh, pardon me, I'm going to fall apart. <laughs> Church meeting over. I said, God's going to use you to speak to secular people who are major leaders that don't know Christ. And uh, she started weeping. I said, what were you crying for, honey? She says, well, tomorrow I'm asked to be speaking to Salem, talk to some teachers in a national wow. convention. I went, there it is, Just hmm. speaking that to her. I said, when you stand up in front of her, realize God's standing with you, and you can speak boldly. Yeah. Makes a big difference in people's lives when their dad's speaking to them like that. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine when you're speaking those promises into your kids' lives, that's also a role that a mom can have. She can be doing yes. that as well. Yeah. But there does seem to be a significance of that that father, the dad in someone's life. So what would you say, though, to maybe um, moms that are listening who there is no dad in the picture? and. Yeah. And they're like, who will ever speak that into the life of my children? Because their dad is either gone or he's yes. just not yeah. walking with the Lord. What What would you encourage the single mom to to do to help her kids receive some of those promises? Well, what I do is uh, I answer the question in this way. We didn't have any grandparents when we came to East Hill Church. And we didn't have any physical grandparents that we could really have the kids with. So we started asking God to give us spiritual grandparents in the church. Mm-hmm. There were four or five people to step forward that were our spiritual grandparents for our kids. It was huge. Mm-hmm. If you're a single mom and you're in church, there are some men that I think you could trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you start praying and God will, God will provide for your son, your yeah. daughter. He'll have a, a man who you trust with a character and integrity speaking in your kid's life. It'll be huge. Right. That's the beauty of the church. You can really step in when you're not there for him. Well, and just experientially, for me in my life, some of the most impactful things that have been said to me or been told to me have been stuff I've heard from my parents but were reinforced by outside sources. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So men yeah, or women in my life who say, this is what's true, this is what I see in you, this is mm-hmm. where you're going. And it's like, I've heard that before, but for some reason this is the <laughs> first time it makes sense, yeah. right? And so I think that seeking those people out is going to be beneficial for anybody in the church, yeah, whether you're a single so. mom, a kid, or anybody who's, great, great who's trying statement. to follow. Yeah. yeah. So, because yeah, you usually don't listen to mom and dad when they talk to you. It's like, mama, you know, like Charlie Brown's right. teacher. That's, wah, right. Wah, 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 wah. that's right. Okay, so we've talked about this a couple of times so far, even uh, in our time today. You know, you got a lot of people, specifically even guys who will say, uh, I don't have a father wound. I've had a great dad. He was never abusive, still married to my mom, loves Jesus, taught me what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Um, so with if somebody says that and that's where they're feeling, how do we know there's a father wound? How do we identify if we do have one in our life? Well, for me, let me talk about my father wound first of all. Uh, it was subtle, but I picked it up after a while. And a strong male authority figure, I'd react one or two ways. Either I'd be a rebel, very critical of them. I'd confront and attack them all the time. Or I'd go the opposite, opposite direction and become a sycophant. I'd want anything I could do to get their attention and their information. Hmm. And I got caught in a crazy cycle. And it's really crazy because if you reach out and you try to connect with a man and you're able to do that, you get real close, you'll see their what? You'll see their failures and their mm-hmm. warts. And then you'll criticize them and you get caught in a crazy cycle. But I think the best way to, to figure if you've got a father wound is if there's any sense of anger in your life. If you wonder if you're married, it's real simple. Ask your wife if you're ever angry. She'll tell you. <laughs> She'll tell you big time. And so how do you respond to a wife when she's when you perceive it as criticism? Mm. How do you respond? That'll tell you right away if you got a father one. Big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of a story several years ago, about four years ago, I went hunting with my dad and a couple Mm -hmm. of his cousins that are around his same age. And um, I was hiking the hills of Wyoming with them and just, you know, loving the beauty of it. And 
the mountain air. Uh, but I realized there was parts of me that felt like I was a 10, 11 year old kid yeah. that I was with these older men that had hunted mm-hmm. way more than I had knew yeah. way more than I did. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and it wasn't just knowledge stuff. It was my general emotion and feeling. And I kind of had this moment with the Lord as I was hiking by myself, right? Like I'm a 36 year old oh, man. man. <laughs> I've led churches and organizations. I I've written books and yet I feel like I'm a little kid out here. What's going on? And I think the spirit just really revealed to me how much in my own mind I had created some of those categories where the father wound had changed how I saw myself. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, my dad and I had some great conversations on that trip and it, it was really, a, I think an emotionally maturing moment for me yes. to walk through those things. But that would be my encouragement for someone who's saying, well, how do I know if I have a father wound? I'd really encourage you to think about how do you act and feel about yourself when you're around your father. Yes. Are there things you feel around him that you realize I don't feel that usually? Um, when you go home to where your parents live, do you um, find yourself struggling with things you don't normally struggle with? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have, like I did, this mindset where all of a sudden you feel 12 again? Uh, those are some real surefire ways to realize, boy, there's, there's something here. Because if I feel something with my dad, whether it's fear, anger, y- maybe even... Um, some positive things where you feel really bold and courageous, yes. you might be recognizing, well, my, I've, I've leaned on my dad for that. Mm-hmm. And when I'm away from him, I, I don't feel the same boldness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just recognizing where do I find a different emotion or feeling, or I'm acting differently. You know, we have so many guys that talk about on holidays or when they're around their family of origin, it becomes a huge battle for their uh, sexual brokenness or some of those old patterns come back. Yeah. Well, again, that that's revealing that there's there's issues there, there's emotions there, there's memories there that really I think can be very fruitful in addressing them and looking into what, what am I hearing? Mm-hmm. What are the messages I'm listening to that can really reveal the father wound? Yeah. I think it's important also to, to take that as an indication. It's really a time for you to ask your dad to affirm your manhood. In other words, what sets you up to feel like a kid again is a statement that your dad never really put openly to you, say, I really see you as a man, I see you gifted in this area, and I see you really released in this area. Because when you're with him, if you stated who you are in the future and who you are prophetically, that sense of living your won't be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first realized I really had a major issue with the father when I was in working on a house, fixing the plumbing. Now, when I try to fix something in our house, we have to hire someone to come and fix it, fix it, I fixed, okay? Yes, I can relate. <laughs> and so my wife walked in, and she says, how you doing? And she was thinking, oh, I could be with my, my hubby. I love to do this. She worked with her father outdoors. She loved it. That's what she was thinking. I was thinking, she doesn't think I'm going to do it right. She says, get out of here. So I said to her, real angry, and she said, I'm getting out of here. She left the house and walked outside, and guy said, I want you to go back in there and talk to him. She said, I'm not going back in there. He tore my head off. <laughs> She said, I went back in. She, I remember, I'll never forget. She walked in. She said, one statement. She said, you ever notice when you work on a house, you get really angry? She turned around and left. <laughs> Just and drop I, that bomb. Yeah. Oh, man. I pulled that <laughs> knife out of my chest. I went, ah. Oh! That's a great. I've never heard that That's strategy. Good. And uh, so I went, she's right. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and said, honey, I never had a dad show me how to fix anything. Yeah. So I'm working on a house. I feel like an idiot. Yeah. So no matter what I do, I feel like an idiot. And you can ask any question, and I'll think it's a criticism. Mm-hmm. I need you to help me in this, and she's helped me in it. Because hmm. that's the truth that plays out in the brokenness, right? So Big like time. in my life, you know, I, like so as you're talking, Nick, the idea of wanting approval um, or wanting that affirmation, for me, that's what it was. I always yeah. want the approval of my dad, and I see that play out even in my life, that mm-hmm. when someone says something critically about me, or misunderstands me, like yeah. I, that's the twelve-year-old feeling. It's like yeah. it's right back to why can't you just approve of me? And yes. so you see it play out in the way that 
really your worldview is shaped in how you go about your day to day. You can exactly. identify it once you start to connect. How do I feel around my dad and how do I experience life? And those two things usually connect. Yeah. How do you feel around your dad? And how do you do when you think your wife's criticizing you? How do you react? <laughs> yeah. I'll show you how secure you are and who you are. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Trevor, you're doing a great job on this podcast, <laughs> man. Keep it up. Yeah. Hey, uh, so we've been talking about, you know, g- guys and gals that feel like they had a great dad. I don't have a father wound. Um, let's just look at the flip side for a moment. Cause Ted, that's kind of your story. We have people listening that maybe never had a dad or they only had one around when they were young or their dad was pretty much absent their whole life. And so maybe they're feeling like, well, how do I identify a father wound? Cause I'm never going to be around my father and I uh-huh. never knew them. So can I even have a father wound? Like how do you help someone who really never knew their dad or, or never will have the opportunity to have these conversations? What kind of encouragement or direction would you give to them? I mean, discovering if they have a father one or not, is what you're asking? Yeah, and, and how to address it if they realize what one is there. Well, first of all, just look at, if you're married, you've got a really simple indicator if you've got a father one. Your relationship with your wife will show you if you're wounded there in your self-esteem big time. And the father will determine how well you are secure in who you are in Christ because he affirms who you are in Christ. If it's not stable, your wife will bring it up big time. That's one way you can see it. And how you relate with strong male authority figures. Mm. And once you realize there's a father one, it's important that you recognize you've got one. And don't deny it, don't push it off. You may have never seen your father. I never never knew my father. I had seven abuses that father, so he used me for a punching bag. So how do you address it? Recognize it's there. And second of all, um, it's really important. Once again, the church is huge here. I, I ask all my clients, I say, when they got a father one, I want you to pray for at least three male figures in your life. Ask God for them. Now, I need three because you get one, you'll focus on them, see all his wounds and all his mistakes, you know, we'll go back to the cycle again. At least three guys that are speaking in your life, you identify them as a spiritual father and receive from them. Mm. And they'll start bringing a new relationship with God the Father and with yourself to other people. It changes your whole perspective on life. It really does. Yeah, that's really good. And I'll get some other, towards the end, I'll get some other suggestions on how to heal it. Yeah. So obviously the concept or the phrase, the father wound, isn't something we see in Scripture. It's more of a modern term. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as we look at the Bible, we see examples of it. So when when someone says, was this even a biblical term? What what kind of things Mm -hmm. or verses, stories do you point to to identify where we see the father wound in Scripture? Well, the classic one is Jacob and Esau. I mean, the classic father one is there. Um, there were two radically different guys I talked about at the men's conference. Um, uh, Esau was totally radically different than Jacob. He, you know, his birth, he was a big hairy guy, kind of like a little baby Chewbacca when his birth, I guess. And and he came out and Jacob's holding on his heel. And that was where he got his name, and supplanter, deceiver, Jacob. And they're radically different. Um, Esau was kind of an outdoors guy, kind of a... Duck Dynasty guy. We love Duck Dynasty. Yeah, These yeah. guys are great. Yeah. And then uh, Jacob was a homeboy. He wouldn't watch ESPN. He'd watch Family Shopping Channel, something like that. And their family was crazy. I mean, Dad loved Esau and Mom loved Jacob. And so at any time, any one of the kids would look at the parents and see that they weren't enough. The real sense of the father one will give you always a sense quietly of not being enough because you never had an affirmation about who you are. So it sets up a shame cycle in your life. It sets up addiction. And your parents will either propel you to pursue God's plans in your life or teach you to pretend and posture. And um, 
And Jacob was a Genesis 27 is a classic illustration of it. Uh, remember the story, Dad says to the oldest son, Isaac says, I want, I, want, I want to check out here. I like a good meal before I go. He said, could you go out and hunt and get my favorite meal and fix it for me? Remember Rebecca, Mom overheard it? She says, I want you to go steal your brother's birthright. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I used to really feel sorry for Esau. I mean, pardon me, Jacob. I feel real sorry for him. And the strong mother that forced him to do this. I looked at the text closely. The guy was 76 years of age. It's a little late to... <laughs> You know, frame your problems Taking on poor poverty. advice training. from mom, yeah. Yeah, right. And so he ended up 21 years running around, manipulating, having horrible relationships. Hmm. I don't know how many guys I've counseled are 50, 60, 70 years old, and they're still cut off from their family of origin. They're still manipulating, trying to get themselves um, be okay by what they do and perceive by what they pursue, pursue in life. Yeah. It's crazy. And the other side... Jacob was a passive hostile guy, you know, and he'd be real sweet and then it'd explode. But Esau was a pure rageaholic, just pure rageaholic. Hmm. And you have to ask yourself, why is uh, anger so addictive? You know, because that's a key issue in this situation. I'm not making this guy's name up, but it's Dr. Kazam. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Kazam did research. He did some functional MRI scans on brains where a guy was focusing on anger and he found out Anger triggers your your pleasure cycle mm. in your brain, and then you get your pleasure cycle, so you feel good, and adrenaline kicks in, so you feel powerful. That's why it's so addictive. Mm. And what they both end up doing is they never ask themselves beneath anger always lies the issue of fear. You got to ask yourself, what are you afraid of when you're angry? Mm. They both live lives of fear, and you have to identify what's really making you angry. And Esau was uh, just. He just acted a life in anger constantly. But God healed both of them. It's an amazing story to figure out how God healed both of them. So what do you do when you feel his anger is starting to grip you? You have to understand that you are angry and realize it. Your wife will help you to see it. Mm -hmm. And you need to find some pastor or leader that really understands anger and help you address, address it because you'll never deal with it alone. You just can't. Mm -hmm. You can't see it. Yeah. yeah. A couple things that come to mind, we, uh, through some stuff at church, you've been going through a book called Gospel Fluency, and, and one of the things that was identified was the whole the whole topic of um, really your identity, being able to speak the gospel into your identity. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the way that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, it was about their eye, they were, he was questioning who God was, and if he was good enough, and mm -hmm. if they were valuable to God. So they were questioning, he was questioning their identity in God, mm -hmm. and then also when he tempts Jesus and Jesus obviously uh, is, does a great job with the temptation. Right. It's all about his identity. If you really are the son of God. And mm -hmm. so I think that for me, I mean, those passages are not about the father wound, but if you look at the, really, you look at the habits of Satan, he really wants to poke at the identity. And I think that that's, in my opinion, that really is uh, showing that there is something there, that really a father wound is something that's important because if a father is helping us create who we are in our identity and who we are in Christ yes. and Satan doesn't want that, he's going to attack it. And so I think that that is really just a couple of things I see in scripture as being potentially proof that the father wound is definitely a thing. Yeah. Well, look at uh, look at chapter three in Matthew where Jesus has a sky part and dove coming down and God says to him, you're my beloved son, and I'm well pleased. And then he goes in the desert, who, right. in the wilderness, who, who initially attacks him, and Satan, and where does he attack him? Yeah. If right you are the son yeah. of God. That's right. And that's why prophetic words from dads mm -hmm. are so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
Jesus needed, boy, we need it big time. Speak truth into our lives. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of places in Scripture I see the father wound occurring. You know, I, I look at the story of Saul as uh, an example right. where he was head and shoulders above the rest. We know he's from a rich, influential, powerful family. He's the obvious choice to be the first king over Israel, and yet when they uh, call him out to anoint him, he's you know he's hiding. And yeah. so it reveals there's something in his thinking that's messed mm. up because he had all the tools. And I asked the question, why wasn't he arrogant and brash? Like, oh yeah, I'm the king. Look at me. I'm right. I'm big. I'm powerful. I'm big family. Well, if you look at Saul's story, it starts by his dad sending him out with a servant to look for donkeys. Right. And if, if you're a wealthy, powerful family, why do you send the oldest son to look for donkeys? I know scripture doesn't say it explicitly, but I think implicitly there's a message there of his value and worth that he was hearing in his mind, a very different message from the realities that mm-hmm. uh, that got him anointed king. Right. Uh, and another example I see is actually in the Apostle Paul's life in Philippians chapter 3 where he lists the kind of things that he grew up with, that he was a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, understood the law, all these things he took credit for. I asked the question, where did that come from? And I think that's what was instilled in him by either his earthly father or other spiritual fathers Mm -hmm. that were saying, this is what it means to be a true man. You follow the law, you're an achiever, you're better than everybody else, your perfection is what makes you who you are. And those are the very things Paul has to look at a couple of verses into Philippians 3 to say, you know, everything I counted as gain and now considered loss. That what I thought was important, what was communicated to me about where I should find my value and identity that's not where it's at. Mm-hmm. It's in Christ. It's in his grace. It's what he's done for me. And I think that is a real example of the kind of transformation we all go through is looking mm-hmm. at, here's what was communicated to me by my earthly father or spiritual fathers or other father figures in my life about mm-hmm. where value and identity comes from. But I'm, I'm learning to see it differently and to embrace that, that different mindset. Yeah. Great contrast to Saul is David. You yeah. Know, all the sons are lined up and... and Samuel says, do you have any other son? That's a ridiculous question. He's going to have all his sons there. One's going to be selected of king of Israel. Right. <laughs> and he says, oh, yeah, I've got this hockaton out in the field. It means a worthless one. His own dad didn't even consider her worthless. Mm. And being worthy, being inconsiderate in the situation. Yeah. But David's relationship and intimacy with God transformed him. But he had this weakness. He kept acting out. Here he's up in the, up in the palace looking out over, and he, he should be out with the troops, and he said he's walking walking around looking for a woman, he finds Bathsheba and goes downhill from there. Mm-hmm. So he was able in his relationship with God to get some kind of healing, but there was no one in his life that really spoke relational healing in depth to him. So mm-hmm. he's always struggling with this issue throughout his life. So let's let's kind of move into that because we've identified what it is, um, how we figure out if it's there, and then you know scripturally that it is a thing. But once we've identified that a father wound is there, how do we address it? Like, is it something we have to like sit down and have that tough conversation with our dads? Does it happen in group? Like what are some ways that we can really work on uh, our father wound? All right. Well, as I indicated, frequent indication of a father wound is anger because you're so frustrated. Mm-hmm. You don't know who you are. I found a great resource called Act on Life, Not on Anger. It's a, I used, I've used it for hundreds of guys. It's probably the best book I've ever found on resolving anger because hmm. it doesn't tell you to try harder helps you to understand what's going on in your brain when you're angry and how to be able to process it well. And the second thing I found is that uh, it's really helpful if you realize you've got a father wound in some sense in your life to sit down as a counselor or a pastor and write a letter to your dad. I've asked men to do this hundreds of times. 
And there should be three parts of the letter. Number one, tell your dad what he, what you're thankful for, because there are no all bad dads. They tried the best they could, okay? So it's really important that you thank him for what he did in your life. Then articulate those areas where you felt wounded. And he may not even perceive he wounded you. He's just living life. Mm-hmm. I remember my daughter, she asked me uh, to go out to breakfast one day after she had taken a number of healing classes in East Hill Church. She says, Dad, I always felt like to be with you, I had to do what you wanted to do. That was the furthest thing from my life. Mm-hmm. I just broke down and bawled. I said, honey, I'd never been around a daughter. I didn't know what to do with a girl. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do something. I wanted to pick the fun things. So she spoke to my life about that. And I wondered, I didn't even intend to do that. So articulate those areas where you felt your dad wounded you mm-hmm. and make a decision to forgive him and ask him to have a relationship with you as an adult. That talks about you feeling like you're 11-year-old when you were a dad. It's really important that you articulate the woundedness and you process it mm. and establish a new relationship with your dad. Because when you have an adult relationship, it change everything. I just had a coffee with my son yesterday. He looked at me and he said, Dad, you're a great dad. Thinking I was seeing what you came out of, and I just sitting there crying again. <laughs> mm. And that brings us to the main area that can really heal you. If you're married, this is huge. God give your kids to heal you. Huh. You get to be a kid you can never be. I mean, when you're 40 years old, playing in the mud and flying a kite, they lock you up. When you get a kid with you, you can do it. Okay, I get to be the kid I can never. I can never be a kid. Yeah. I'd always take care of my mom. Hmm. She's yeah. passed out on the floor, vomiting all over the place. I had to clean it up. I didn't have any childhood. I got to be a kid again as Brian grew, especially with your son. You can really see life through his eyes. It's hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. And then, then you get to be the dad you can never, you never had. Hmm. So many things I did and. It's really important you don't, a guy in my office will say to me time and again, I'm never, never, never going to be like my dad. And I'll guarantee huh. it's exactly That's like That's the way into it, yep. Because <laughs> he's reacting to his dad and he'll right. pattern himself as a rebel against well, Then his we're dad. blind to what we're replicating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's really important that you establish a relationship of health with yourself mm-hmm. by being uh, the dad that you never had. Yeah. Not reacting to your dad, but being healthy in a situation. God give your kids to heal you. Yeah. So you you talk about that letter that you've seen be a crucial tool. I guess one follow-up question it makes me think of is, should that letter always be sent? Are, are there situations where you recommend clients because of who yeah. their dad is or the life situation that the letter's more for your own benefit, but not to send and process with them? I must have read my notes. There are some dads you don't want to send a letter to. <laughs> um, I've had some clients that uh, their dads beat them up and they still try to do that. Hmm. It makes it crazy. So what you do is you sit down with the pastor or the counselor you have and you read it to your dad and he's not there. Just have an empty chair and read it to an empty chair. A lot of times dad's passed on and that can be really powerful. I'll say, Jesus will get it to him. Just say what you're feeling. Huh. It'll be a powerful time of healing for him. Huge. So you'd suggest if, if there's fears or concerns that your father is abusive, whether verbally or physically, better mm-hmm. to not send the letter, better to process it with right. a, a counselor or exactly. pastor. Exactly. But you've got to process it because it's in your soul and it's going to come out one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You've got to process it. But that process yeah. can't happen alone. Like no. that's that that would be some practical things I would just encourage is being a part of whether it's a group or a community that you can be honest about that stuff, whether it's a counselor or a professional, someone that you can mm-hmm. spend time with um, because you, you can't process that stuff alone. You have to have outside eyes looking at it. Yeah, that's what I commented up front. I says you can never deal with this issue alone yeah. because it's about a relationship. So you got to have a... Your wound in a relationship, you got to be healed in a relationship. Right. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in that story I was telling earlier about the hunting trip with my dad, uh, getting to bring up those conversations, you know, it's, it's not easy. It, it's still hard to bring up 
something that's maybe potentially yeah. uh, confrontational or might make them feel bad, but just the good that came out of it. And there've been other times where my dad has been the one to initiate the conversation. Yeah. And what a, you know, what a blessing and a gift that is to mm-hmm. me when he shows an openness that says, I, I want to continue to grow as your dad. And mm-hmm. if there's areas that I could, um, acknowledge something, apologize for something, I, I'd rather deal with it than have it be this unspoken thing between us. And I, I just think of for the moms and dads out there that are listening, that that's a gift we give our kids is not waiting for them to come to us yes. with that letter or to say, you know, mom or dad, there's something I really need to talk to you about how you've hurt me. But, but in mature, loving, grace-filled ways to go to our kids and say, you know, are there things I've done? Are yes. there things I've said? Are there mm-hmm. ways I've treated you? That, that, um, that have made you feel less than, that you're not mm-hmm. worthy, that I'm not proud of you, because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like the chance to make that right and, and to work through those things. So that kind of leads into our next question, Ted, is how could we, for those who are listening that are parents or that are going to be parents, what are the kind of things that we can do to not pass on these wounds to our kids? You have to understand a generational curse of what you're talking about. It's not some spooky spiritual thing. It's the way you think, and your kids will instinctively pick that up. Hmm. I tell all the counseling, about 80% of the guys I counsel, I have a severe father wound. I always tell them it's going to take about two years, but your kids will be about two years behind you in this process. And what I love, Nick, is I love the strength that you have with your father. I see that stability in you and under pressure, and it's beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand it's my, primarily about the way you think, and if you're honest with your kids and vulnerable with them, they'll process through, and in about two years they'll be behind you. Hmm. Most of my clients, their kids are all whacked out, and uh, they're really panicky about it. We'll have them sit down and write a letter to their kids from their perspective of what they've been through, and their wife writing a pers- letter perspective as well, sexual addiction. It's really important. Uh, statistics are, are undeniable. Addicts will raise addictive kids. Mm-hmm. And the reason they become addictive is what they saw and heard they didn't see and hear, so they're taught to be crazy. Hmm. And they'll act out on that. So one of the things that's really important, if you have some addictive behavior in your family, get it resolved out, get healed, and sit down, husband and wife, and write a letter to your kids and have a counselor or pastor look at it and process it with your kids. Age appropriately. Hmm, right. But as you do that, it'll bring health into your family. Yeah. Something that I've been uh, been trying, and I, I'm not doing an awesome job at this by any means, but I've got a, uh, I've got a, a son who's a year and a half, and... Mm. One of the things I've been trying to do is uh, just listening to other people's stories about their experiences and their wounds has helped me kind of uh, fill mine out a little bit more. Yeah. And so as I'm parenting, as I'm as I'm being a dad, there have been times where my son's crying and whether it's something stupid or he got hurt or he's not getting his way, I've, I've started to, there've been a couple times now where I'm telling him not like, it's okay, stop crying, but it's okay, you can cry. Yeah. Like it's okay to be emotional. It's mm-hmm. okay to feel right. the way you feel. And I don't know if he's picking it up yet quite at a year and a half, but I would rather start practicing that now and trying to make it where this, I'm not, you know, I think it was um, Bob Vandermeer who told me he, you know, has neighbors around the area or people that are in his life that tell their kids, just dust it off, get up, don't worry about it, just move on. And I don't want my kid growing up that way. Right. And so, uh, you know, there are probably listeners out there who their kids aren't my kid's age, um, but there are still things that you can do and there's still areas that you can very simply speak truth into and identity into your kids. One of the most significant healing times I had in my life was when Brian got hit in the head with a baseball bat accidentally, splintered and hit him in the head. And uh, I'm holding him in my 
arms and we're driving to the emergency room and he's trying not to cry. And uh, I said, Brian, only strong man could cry. Hmm. That's why David's psalms are so powerful. I mean, mm. he knows how to cry big time. Yeah. And he began to cry like crazy. And I looked down at my hands and had my son's blood all over my hands. And I finally understood I'd never been in a real, I could always understand Jesus, but I'd never handle Father God. Because hmm. I always put one of my stepfather's faces on it. Sure. I ran out, I looked down at my hands and had my son's blood on my hands. I finally caught the price Christ paid for us. Mm-hmm. Price God prayed, God the Father paid to have yeah. his own son slaughtered on my behalf. I just fell apart and totally mm. transformed my understanding of God's love for me. Yeah, mm. that's really cool. You know, I'm thinking about kind of the two extremes of parenting. We see both styles, I think, frequently. That on the one hand, you've got the parent who feels like they have to always be strong. They have to be, you know, the, the supporter, not really show weakness or emotion. And they want their kids, like, to grow up with this stability that I've got it all figured out. And on the other it's end— It's called stability? It's called well, craziness. Well, maybe a, yeah, a false <laughs> sense of—but I think a lot of people feel that, uh, that that's what it means to be a strong parent. Where on the other side of the spectrum, you have emotional enmeshment, where yeah. a parent is just— sharing too much with their kids they're emotionally dumping on them and the, the kids kind of become their confidants so what what's the balance between those two how do parents because I, I think there is something in us that we want to be strong for our kids but not in a false way mm-hmm. and and we want to be emotionally connected with our kids but not in an enmeshed way mm-hmm. so how do we stay in a healthy place between those two extremes what you're talking about is emotional health is what you're asking in other words not being overreactive and underactive you want to be emotionally healthy it's really important that you process your own wounds mm. and that you face your own issues. And when you screw up, it's really important that you apologize point blank to your kids. Don't hide anything from your kids. They'll read it like crazy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about teenagers is they will not put up with any bull. They'll call you on it any time. That's why it's so tough. Teenagers are forcing the parents to finally grow up. Mm. You've got a couple of teenagers now, don't you, Nick? Mm-hmm. Well, just one. Just one. <laughs> There's more more, more coming. coming. <laughs> Pipeline. Yeah. That's right. I remember, I remember I was at the dinner table one time, and I said something stupid. Nikki's sitting there, and she says, Dad, it's not only unbiblical, but it's stupid. <laughs> I went, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It's really important. So this has been uh, really insightful. I think it's just really helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get stuff out of this episode. Um, but Ted, we just, uh, end every episode with this whole idea of just giving an opportunity to give any final encouragement. So, uh, whether it's a guy or a gal who's listening, whether they've identified a father wound or not, um, when it comes to the father wound, what would be any final encouragements you'd give? Oh, I love, I love the passage in the old Testament says, you're the apple of God's eye. And what that literally means is the word is you're the little man in his eye. And what that is, is have you ever been so close to someone, the light's just right, you can see the reflection yourself in their eyes that's what god's saying he says when i look at you i see myself in you hmm. that's what scripture says when god looks at us he sees christ in us he's not an uptight evangelical he's not obsessed with your sin it's really important as a parent you should be overwhelmed by your mistakes and you the kids will just you know they love them so deeply and you do something stupid and wounds them tears you apart yeah it's really important that god does not see you as some gross sinner he sees christ in you you need to start giving yourself grace and not, not beat yourself up all the time. And then that same grace extend to your kids. Um, classic example, um, helped this one guy write a letter to his dad. His dad was really, really distant and remote. Sit down in a coffee shop and started talking with his dad and handed, handed a letter to him. His dad read it and tears are streaming down his face. He said, I could have written this to my dad. Mm-hmm. You finally broke the generational curse. Yeah. Once you break the generational curse, a blessing of God will just flow through your family. 
I'm a classic example of it. Both my kids are so blessed, I can't even hardly just comprehend it at times. Mm. Seeing my daughter ordained and seeing her used of God. Yeah. My son used of God so powerfully. And I came out of such hell. There's nothing that God cannot heal if you just trust him and lean into him and get honest. Yeah. Mm. You have to be honest. And our home should be a place that's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. It's okay for kids to be kids. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yes. And it's tough to remember when you lose it. and you lose it as a dad, you get angry and get stupid. You need to repent, be honest, and yeah. be forthright. Yeah. There's no way you can miss it. God will keep you there, right on the center. Yeah. And I, you know, I, as I think of some final encouragement, this, this kind of work can be hard. It can be uh, tempting to just avoid. Uh, let me just focus on changing my behaviors. I, I don't know if I want to lean into this. I would just encourage for anyone that hasn't really made a point to walk through this kind of process of identifying a father wound, dealing with it, uh, it's worthwhile. It, yeah. it really is worthwhile. And so don't try to move through your healing without making this a part of it because both the blessing, as you're pointing out, Ted, the blessing that can come into your own life as mm-hmm. you work through this, but also what can come through you to your family and future generations is just really incredible. So um, take the effort, take the time, um, process it with a counselor, or with a group, because uh, this is really, really valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. Amen. And the thing I would say, because we grow, we grow up in a, if you grow up in the church or you go to church or you're a part of the Christian culture, it's just be gracious, be understanding, be gracious, be understanding. And I think that when you think of the father wound, it's easy to feel like you're blaming your father and it's, you're not blaming, you're just identifying. You're identifying the way that you have been given a worldview and the way that you see things. And it's not that your sin is contingent upon the way that your parents raised you. Your sin is still your sin. Um, but the way it's flavored and the way that it comes out will be indicated by the way you're parented. Um, so don't blame, but just work on identifying. Yeah, I say don't blame, but what we're doing is reclaiming what hell stole from you. Mm-hmm. Your parents did the best they could, right. okay? So you got to be gracious to them and reclaim what hell stole from you. Mm-hmm. The enemy's the enemy. Your parents are not the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been awesome. Ted, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's it's really cool to really get to a place where you start to see the father wound and then you start to address it in your life. And then once you start addressing it, you see that health can be possible. You see that real change is happening, whether it's sexual, emotional, relational, spiritual health, addressing the major wounds in our lives, always going to be beneficial for us and our family and really the community that we're a part of. So thanks for hanging out and talking with us, Ted. Amen. Good to be with you guys. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe. You can also rate and review our podcast and let us know how we're doing. For more information, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.